This is Outside the Boxes, where we explore the labels, boxes and stereotypes we're all forced into. Welcome to the next episode of Outside the Boxes. Um, thank you for being here and thank you for listening to our podcast. I am Pragya Garwal and I talk about gender bias and implicit bias and unconscious bias and the boxes and stereotypes that are imposed upon us as a society as well. I bring in a lot of my research in psychology and cognitive science and as a researcher and academic, um, this is what I love doing as also a woman in tech and STEM who has worked in this area for a very long time since my PhD. I also try and talk about these boxes and disciplines in academia as well. I run a feminist parenting course as a mother of three girls and, and somebody who grew up in India in a very patriarchal society. This is I'm really conscious about the gender biases and then just stereotypes and how that shapes women's opportunities in in this world as well and so i am really passionate about how we can raise our children to be equal and how we can campaign for bring about gender equality in this world and i firmly believe that we do not need feminism is not something that is an anti-men movement or it promotes uh, superiority of one gender over another but it's about finding equality for everyone no matter what and how can we achieve that and i bring in my research into the whole notion of how these biases are created to try and understand how these shape these perceptions and how our implicit biases can shape the language and the words and the messages that we give to everybody around us in this world and how that can shape our interactions and experiences as well so today i want to talk about neurosexism which is the practice of claiming that there are fixed differences between female and male brains. And often this has been used to explain women's inferiority or unsuitability for certain roles. And by using brain uh, neuroscience research and uh, showing sex-dependent activity in certain brain regions, such as those associated with empathizing, learning languages or spatial processing, these kind of studies and uh, neurosexist studies have allowed an established go-to list of sex differences to flourish. So uh, media catches on to this kind of these become hyped and you can see lots of headlines which talk about that men are more logical or women are better at languages or more nurturing or men make better leaders. But is, as historian of science, Londa Skeenbinger explains in The Mind Has No Sex, women were not to be viewed merely as inferior to men, but as fundamentally different from and thus incomparable to men. And so this, this whole notion in, and the popular culture kind of movement in 17th and 18th century was towards this divide between men and women and it was used to justify a lot of policies it was used to justify women's status and role in society it was used to justify the way that men and women have been treated differently because they are just incomparable they are just fundamentally different and also they cannot be compared to each other so a lot of popular books have built on this myth and perception for example the very well known men are from mars women are from venus which have been long been used to show that women and men react to things differently, that they do not match, that they are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. And so it's very difficult to find a common ground. And it was used so much in, in our popular culture in the 80s. And 
One of my personal pet peeves is the Barbara and Allen Peace book, Why Men Don't Listen and Women Can't Read Maps. And as a GI scientist with a PhD in spatial cognition, as somebody who has worked in maps and with maps for a very long time and STEM and tech, I find a lot of these theories, the such overgeneralization in this book, really appalling and personally upsetting. So a lot of work in neuroscience and the one way these headlines have been configured have assumed that male and female brains are very different because male and be- female behaviors differ so significantly. But over the last few decades, ne- neuroscientists have been looking at for major anatomical differences and they did not find that many. Actually, they found surprisingly few differences. So there are more neurons or more neuronal spines here and there in one sex or the other with great variations from one individual to the other, but that's about it. So there's a paradox between this apparent similarity of the brains of male and female and the strikingly different behaviors they engage in. And so what what shapes these behaviors? Why are we still insisting that men and women are these opposite ends of the spectrum or they are these gender binaries and they are shaped according to the brain that they are, the biological sex determines their brains and their behaviors. So there have been some studies, for example, a study in Irvine uh, reported, um, and it was actually on the early show on US television network, there's a medical correspondent, Jennifer Ashton, who's declaring that men have a six and a half times more gray matter than women, whereas women have 10 times as much more white matter as men. And so this kind of naturally led to assumptions and generalizations that this means that men's they have more men have more talent at mathematics and women have more ability to multitask and this kind of research in in cortex thickness is actually quoted as thicker in females where white matter is often quoted as larger in males and this these kind of generalizations keep on happening and recurring but the fact is that we do not really have all the answers and we have to understand that these scientific studies are overgeneralized, the results and the conclusions from these. And the way that we draw conclusions from these data is is not accurate. For example, just in this particular case, these differences would actually demand that women's heads were about 50% larger or that they actually the, they didn't even talk about that the team of researchers didn't compare brain volumes but they were merely investigating a correlation between IQ and measures of gray on white matter. And all the studies that have been done since found that there's a considerable overlap between this whole notion of cortex thickness being thicker in females and white matter volume being more in males. There's a considerable overlap. And so it's more of a trend rather than an absolute marker of sex. There's been some questions and debate and also some popular science books which are which are not talking about this whole myth of gendered brains. And the popular ones that come to my mind are Cordelia Fine's Delusions of Gender, Angela Seni's Inferior is is a hugely remarkable book, and then Gina Rippon's The Gendered Brain. And she's talked a lot about this whole myth of gender, her talks, you can find them on online as well. It's it's a really fantastic insight into how these ge- notion of gendered brain has been created and why it seems to persist as well. This is huge landmark study that was done in 2015 that I found in Journal of Psychology Research. And I've been reading a lot about these studies pertaining to my book that I'm writing at the moment as well. And this study in 2015 showed that every brain is actually a mosaic of different patterns, some more commonly found in men's brains and some in women's. 
but actually they couldn't describe any of the brains as fully male or fully female. They did an MRI of more than 1400 human brains from four data sets and they revealed extensive overlap between the distribution of female and male for all gray matter, white matter and all the connections that they assessed. They couldn't obviously assess all the connections. Brain is a hugely complex organ. Moreover, the analysis of internal consistency revealed that brains with features that are consistently at one end of the maleness-femaleness continuum are very rare. Rather, most brains are comprised of unique mosaic of features and it is proposed this notion of mosaic, which uh, some are more common in females compared with males, some are common in males compared with females and some were common in both females and males. So their findings were robust across sample age, type of MRI and method of analysis. And their findings were also corroborated by a similar analysis of personality traits, attitudes, interests and behaviors of more than 5,500 individuals, which revealed that this kind of whole maleness-female consistency lying at the opposite ends of the spectrum is extremely rare. So their study demonstrated Although there are some sex or gender differences in the brain, human brains do not belong to one of two distinct categories, like male brain or a female brain. It's impossible to categorize them as such. So if you've just joined us here in episode four of Outside the Boxes, I'm talking about neurosexism and how neuroscience research has been used to proposed this idea of male and female brain from the 17th and 18th century and it was built on this idea that women were not just inferior but actually incomparable to men and that we are born in a certain way that our biological sex determines the way our brains are shaped and our nature as well and I have talked about that this hasn't been proven that none of the neuroscience studies have actually been able to show consistently that there's a maleness and a femaleness end of the spectrum that there is a male or a female brain so the very concept of a male and female brain has been found to be flawed it is not true and so research has shown that it's more a mosaic of features that there are some maleness and femaleness perhaps traits but it is a continuum and it is not just consistent with one particular gender so there are sex or gender differences in the brain perhaps but they do not belong to one of two distinct categories so there's no male or female brain and continuing with that i want to talk about the feminine notion of feminine and masculine traits and the idea of feminine and masculine traits come from this notion this this theory that there are male and female brains and that that the, our natures are shaped by these brain differences. But research has shown that a characteristically male density of dendritic spines or branches of a nerve cell can be changed to the female form by an application of a mild external stress. So that means that an external environmental factor can change characteristically male brain to a characteristically female brain. So that means that if biological sex alone cannot explain pain differences, we have to have an understanding of how, when and to what extent external events affect the structure of the brain. So there's this research study that was done on 4,860 adolescents from the National Longitudinal Study of Adolescent Health in which there were several variables and they found that the variables on which young women and men differed the most included worry about weight, depression, delinquency, impulsivity, gambling, involvement in housework, engage in engagement in sports, and a femininity score. 
So far, so gender normative. And this could probably be used as a headline to say, yes, women worry more about weight than men or that men are more worried about engagement in sports or that boys like dinosaurs more than girls. But, and it's a big but, not a single person in this study had only feminine or only masculine scores on these variables. Rather, what was typical of both men and women, and 70% of them, them to be exact, was a mosaic of feminine and masculine characteristics. So again, there is a mosaic of feminine and masculine characteristics. This notion, this idea that somehow there is a maleness associated with certain behaviors, that a boy liking dinosaur, a girl liking dolls, that girls are more empathetic and the boys are more leaders, naturally born leaders. And that is why perhaps in organizations we have, we have leadership training for women and we have more emotional intelligence training for men. And this is based on this myth that women and men are different, that they were born different, that they have certain male, masculine and feminine traits. And um, I'm recently writing a whole article about women in football and about how gender normative it can be, the whole notion of sports, but especially a contact and aggressive sport like football as well. And this is where I'm really, really uh, trying to grapple with this whole notion of masculine and feminine traits as well. So the key point here is that although there are sex differences in brain and behavior, when we move away from group level differences in single features and focus at the level of the individual brain and person, we find that the differences, regardless of their origin, usually mix up rather than add up. So the reason for this mixing up of characteristic is that the genetic and hormonal effects of sex on brain and behavior depends on and interacts with many other factors. There are many other factors and this is the whole notion of neuroplasticity and it's actually quite can be quite liberating if you look at it that we are not just shaped by our genes or by our sex we can evolve and adapt as we grow older we our brains can shape be shaped according to the kind of external and environmental factors that we are exposed to so this is one of the major breakthroughs neuroplasticity so different long, short and long term experiences will change the brain structure it has also been shown that social attitudes and expectations such as stereotypes can change how your brain processes information so just taking an example of women in stem I have worked in, in STEM and tech for a long time. And this whole notion of that mathematical ability comes up again and again about it's used to justify why there are more men in tech. For instance, a conference in visualization yesterday I saw was in, composed entirely of men. Could they not find a female expert or did they assume that it was just men who are good at data visualization, who are experts in data visualization? And we say that again and again. But it is the whole notion of stereotype. These stereotypes that are created that men or boys from early childhood or because of their sex, a biological sex, are somehow better at maths. But in my research, it has been shown that there's a whole notion of stereotype threat. So when we are stereotyped as something, when we are trying, we are conscious of this stereotype and we try to make sure that we do not conform to that stereotype this creates an additional anxiety and stress that can create additional cognitive load and that can actually affect our performance so for instance in this example if a girl is conscious of the fact 
that she is stereotyped as as not as good at mathematics as the boy sitting next to her this would affect her performance because she is this creates additional cognitive load it's additional load on cognitive processing and it takes away the main, the focus from the main task it distracts from the main task on hand which is a perhaps a mathematics examination and so this affects her performance and so this kind of creates this whole notion of stereotype creates a whole self-fulfilling prophecy where because a girl has been stereotyped and she's conscious of this stereotype and this creates anxiety it affects her performance so she performs worse on mathematics test or exam than a boy so then create this creates the theory that boys outperform girls in mathematics they are better in mathematics than girls so a stereotype can actually also affect how our brain process information so perhaps it, it also it has been shown to a certain extent affects how we learn as well so how girls learn how they absorb information around mathematical concepts or how high level concepts in mathematics and science as well if there is only one or two girls sitting in a classroom of 50 boys at university it has been shown that it affects their learning of these advanced level concepts um there's also an institutional climate around these stereotypes that affect how boys and girls are treated boys because they are not stereotypes because that they have this additional confidence that they are better at maths that they have this natural mathematical ability perhaps would be more confident of expressing their opinions than a girl who worries and somehow is aware that she is believed to not be so good at mathematics as her male counterpart would probably be not as confident in speaking out so this again creates a stereotype that girls are not as confident expressing their opinions than a boy is or they're not as good at mathematics than a boy is again and again we see this stereotype being broken again and again we've seen female mathematicians and scientists and women in tech who have broken these gender stereotypes so what was different they were perhaps brought up in a gender neutral climate their parents and teachers expected different from them they created different expectations from them they were able to break these gender stereotypes and it is found that nations with greater gender equality have much smaller gender gaps in mathematics performance and in mate preferences as well but we will not go into mate preferences in, in this particular episode but in particularly in mathematics performance as well and so we see that when we have these stereotypes that are created social and cultural cues that are given to our brain we internalize these messages it affects our behavior it affects how we learn it affects our performance as well and so it creates this cycle and so these supposedly brain based differences in behavioral characteristic and cognitive skills change across time place and culture due to the different external factors experienced so even things like our access to education the education that we receive the financial independence that we have the diet that we have even can affect how our brain has been shaped how cognitive skills develop how our behavioral characteristics develop as well and so as i said stereotype is one really important thing how that affects how brain responds to various cues so today we are talking about biological determinism and neuroplasticity and the fact that perhaps we are not as biologically deterministic or we are, are we are not as shaped by our genes and our biology as we assumed to be the case that our children are perhaps more 
of a cerebral sponge than we believed it to be. So that as soon as we soak these newborn cerebral sponges into a world of pink and blue division of these gender stereotyped attitudes, we start shaping and forming their gendered identities and imposing differences in their brains. And we direct them into these socially and culturally gendered pathways. So when we see our five-year-old preferring a gun over a doll or preferring a dinosaur over a doll, is it because we have directed them into this gendered pathway or is it because that that is what their biology is? Is it for, because, why is that? And this is a huge question. And this is a really the underlying philosophy for my Raising Equals um, feminist parenting course. I firmly believe that if we start thinking about this from an early childhood, if we base our parenting around these cognitive theories into this neuroscience research, we, we can really prevent our children from feeling this pressure of gender identities and gendered stereotypes. And obviously, this kind of research has huge implications for children or people who do not identify and conform with particular gender. We can move away from these gender binaries or those who are transitioning as well. But it has huge impact on the way we bring up and educate our children. Besides affecting how we bring up our children, how they're taught, it also affects policy. It really affects policy. And that is why I'm really passionate about talking about these things. Because psychological gender differences are often invoked in important policy issues, such as single-sex schooling, talking about that girls learn better when they're own, or that boys have to be taught in a certain way, or girls have to be taught in a certain way, or there are certain subjects that boys and girls should, would, should and would take up. And it also explains why in 2005, there were no women on the faculty in mathematics at Harvard University. And even now, we find that there are very few women in math, science and technology. And as I said in the example about the panel, we see in so many conferences, it is only the male experts who are invited to give in keynotes. It is the male expert who who are invited to be on panels of these talks, especially in science and technology and STEM subjects. For me, it's it is a very personal thing as well because I was the first female lecturer who was appointed in an engineering department in a leading engineering department in the UK, and I attended so many of these conferences. And the ratio I would say from men to women, there were more men than women. But I did not find that there was a difference in our abilities to carry out research in a particular area. Why were there more men? And that is a question that has really been at the center of my interest and in research for a long time as well. So it is really crucial to have these accurate scientific information, not misinterpret the science, not hype these res results that we get from neuroscience research, not use some manipulate our scientific research into a way that we create these further gender biases, boxes and stereotypes. And it is really important to have accurate scientific information available to evaluate such policy recommendations and explanations as well about the kind of educational policy that we are going to create and strategies that we want to create for our children as well in the future. So the notion of fundamentally female and brain brains or natures is a misconception. And this is why when I talk about my raising equals course I do not talk about just raising feminist sons or raising feminist daughters. I want to create a course which I want to talk about bringing this whole idea of neuroscience and cognitive research. And this is really underpinning on my course into how we do not need to differentiate between sons and daughters. All children, irrespective of the sex that they are born in, they have to be given these equal opportunities. And how can we do so? How can we break these cultural and social stereotypes and how 
these stereotypes and the biases that we carry as a parent as well how it has shaped our perceptions and how it would shape our parenting as well so that is why i do not believe in, in courses which are explicitly and specifically about raising feminist sons or raising feminist daughters because i do not believe that goes against this whole philosophy and they somehow conform to this whole idea of neurosexism as well so let's keep working on overcoming gender stereotypes bias discrimination and structural barriers before concluding that sex which is despite being a poor guide to our brains and psychological characteristic is a strong determinant of social structure it is not i hope you will keep listening and if you've enjoyed this episode if you have any comments please feel free to send it to me i would love to hear from you and if you enjoy it please share it please subscribe to it and looking forward to seeing you back here again thanks thank you for listening to outside the boxes please check out the feminist parenting course with the link in the show notes or by searching raising feminist children course in google sign up using the exclusive code femparents f e m p a r e n t s for a discount <laughs>